Ram should go to the forest for 
14 years. So Dashrath Maharaj fails. And now we go ahead, what happens? Because today's topic is interesting. It's called Tolerating Happiness and Distress. Stable Faith and Duty. How to practice our duties by tolerating happiness and distress in life. So given this topic, I'm fast forwarding. So Dasharat Maharaj is completely uh, shocked at KK's demands and is unsuccessful in convincing her to withdraw her wounds. And he is crying because he's attached to Ram. He wants Ram to be the king. And not only he's attached, everybody in Ayodhya wants Ram to be the king. So why is she behaving? So, so when Dasharat Maharaj fails in all his methods, he falls unconscious. When he falls unconscious, KK calls for the trusted minister of Ayodhya. Remember I mentioned his name yesterday. I know it's not fair on my part to expect you to remember his name. His name is Sumantra. So Dasharat Maharaj is not able to say anything. KK calls him and says, please go and call Ram. There is something important the king wants to tell him. So Sumantra is like, He's shocked to see Dasharat Maharaj is lying, you know. He's like very sad and he's crying. And he's wondering why is Dasharat Maharaj such a happy hour? Why is he crying? And he's an intelligent minister, he understands something is wrong. So he rushes to Ram and says, Maharaj Dasharat wants to meet you immediately. Now remember, Ram has Ram and Sita have performed a lot of puja and prayers the previous night because they know that the next morning they are going to be made the king, the prince regent. So they're doing all auspicious activities. And now they come to the palace of Dasharat Maharaj and when Ram walks in, he's shocked to see his father in that condition and uh, immediately asks his mother, KK, Mother, what is wrong with my father? Why is, he, why is he so despondent? So then Dasharat Maharaj is looking at Ram and saying, Ram, he's just crying, he's just not able to say anything. So Ram is confused. He looks at KK and says, what is going wrong? So KK says, so Ram says, is my father very uh, disturbed? Is he sick? What is wrong with him? KK says, Ram, there is nothing wrong with him. But there is a desire he has. And he has given me a benediction, two boons. And now he is unable to express those benedictions, uh, these blessings that he wants. He wants you to do two things. He has given me two boons. So, I want you to follow them. So, Ram says, I, then he says, I swear by my father that even if he tells me to jump into the ocean, I will jump into the ocean. If he tells me to jump into a burning fire or take poison, I will do whatever he says. So, don't doubt my loyalty to my father. Tell me, mother, what do you want me to do? So then she tells him, Valmiki Muni says in the Ramayana, that she tells him what one would not even tell an enemy. Because Ram was so much loved by everyone in Ayodhya. So she tells him those two boons that Bharat will be made the king and you should go to the forest now. So what are the previous, till now what was he thinking would happen? He would be made the prince regent and now he is being sent to forest. And the best part of this whole episode is Ram's reaction. What an ordinary man would do, he would go crazy, you know, what is this? He would be shocked. And Lord Ram was equipoised. See, we can't fake it. We can't imitate this. This is like a 
gold standard, somebody who is so equipoised, tolerating all happiness and distress. But we take inspiration from this story. Now Ram was completely equipoised. And he said, yes, mother, I will go. I will go today. I will go to the forest. And you didn't have to, you, know, you, you didn't have to even call me here. You didn't even have to uh, tell me that the, my father wants this. If you had simply sent a message to me, to the servant, that you want me, oh mother, that I should go to the forest, I would have immediately left. She, but she is not impressed. <laughs> she says, Ram, you go not today, go now. <laughs> she is like desperate to see Ram out of Ayodhya. So then, um, so it's a long, so Ayodhya Khand is very big. It's one of the biggest, uh, see Ayodhya Khand, uh, Ram getting, uh, Ram's birth and getting married to Sita, all of that is like, I think, two thousand, uh, yeah, just few hundred verses. And then, this entire conversation between Kaike, Mantra, Dasharat, all of that, that's almost more than 2000 verses. It's like a huge, long discussion. So, Ram comes out of the room because he's ready to go. And when he comes out, who's standing there, you think, who's always with Ram? Lakshman. And when Lakshman hears, he's shocked and he starts crying. And then Ram says, Lakshman, so I'm going to the forest now. My father has ordered me. So you stay here and take care of all our mothers and my father. And Lakshman's first, re first reaction is, Ram, I'm coming with you to the forest. Wherever you are, because Ra Lakshman is considered as shadow of Ram. Wherever Ram is, Lakshman wants to be there to serve. So, and then Ram says, no, you stay here and take care of our father and the mothers. Lakshman says, very angrily, Bharat will take care of them. But the king has lost his mind. He starts calling his father as the king. How can he send you to the forest? What wrong have you done? This 14 years banishment is awarded to the most dreaded criminals in the kingdom. In fact, that parampara, that tradition is still followed in India. You know, 14 years imprisonment is like <coughs> equivalent to sentence to death. So, uh, that is the next, after sentence to death is 14 years imprisonment, the harshest punishment. So, he is shocked that overnight, oh, just a moment, the changes have happened. And he's crying, Lakshman is crying. And then he says, Bharat will take care of our mothers and father. And if he doesn't take care, because I will get, we will get news in the forest that he's not doing proper justice, proper care, then I will come back to Ayodhya and punish him. Because he's not thinking, it's all a conspiracy, everybody's involved. Dasharat Maharaj, Kaikeyi and Bharat. He's, he's angry with his father, he's angry with his brother Bharat, and he's, he's also crying. For him, there was no doubt, when Ram said, I'm going to the forest, Lakshman said, we are going. You know, Lakshman had... Lakshman was not thinking, oh, no, Ram is going, I don't have to go, because he was not banished to the forest. So this is the first example we get from this past time. See, tolerating happiness and distress and being steady in duty, this is the topic. You will see Ram tolerating all this great news and bad news. And Lakshman, duty, I will serve my Lord, happily. And then Ram goes to Kaushalya. Who is Kaushalya? Ram's mother. And when he informs her, she just falls on the ground. Like, um, Valmiki, when he gives an analogy, that like a cow which loses her calf, 
her calf and how she falls. So like that, Kaushalya fell down. And then Lakshman and Ram lifted her and she said, how, how can this happen? You can't go, Ram. I will come with you to the forest. So then Ram says, Mother, you have to stay here to take care of our father. So she says, but mother's order is more important than father's order. He has told you to go to the forest. I am telling you to stay. She says, he says, Ram says, yes, mother. But he gave me the order first. So I will follow his order. And then I will also follow your order <laughs> later. And my father is not telling me to do something sinful. He is just telling me to go to the forest. And I always wanted to see the forest. <laughs> so he is seeing it very positively. So when Koshala is crying, and Ram is giving this kind of, you know, positive thinking. Lakshman becomes furious. He says, I disown my father. Who can find fault in Ram? Ram is spotless in character. He is friendly to everyone. How can the king, who is lusty for his favorite queen, Kaikei, how can he make such a harsh decision? Today, I am going to take this kingdom by force for my brother Ram. I will see who will stop me today. And then he tells, looks at Mother Koshal and says, Mother, you don't worry. Your son will be the king and I will ensure that. And look at my bows and my quiver. They are not some medals given to me. And then he looks, takes out his sword. He says, this sword is not a ornament of beauty on my body, to decorate my body. These are to crush the enemies. I'm going to use them and crush all enemies in Ayodhya and install Ram as the king. So Kaushalya is happy to hear this. She says, yes, yes, Lakshman, you are, you are right. And then Kaushalya looks at Ram and says, your brother is speaking right. So Ram says, uh, he looks at Lakshman and says, Lakshman, I know you love me, but I will follow the order of my father who is adhering to principles, who is always followed satya, truthfulness. And he wants this. Mother Kaike has said this, I will do it. So Lakshman starts crying because he knows he can't, he can't go against his brother Ram. He may be angry, but ultimately he has to follow. But it's interesting, huh? Lakshman is speaking very harshly about his father. This is circumstantial. It's not that he hates his father. Please don't you know, think that Lakshman has become, uh, you know, no, you know, in fact, you see, the entire Ramayana, when I was reading in 2020, I was stuck in COVID, so Ramayana was my shelter that time. And I'm amazed, whenever Ram, Sita and Lakshman are going anywhere in the forest, and when Sita is also kidnapped, whenever Ram, Lakshman meet anyone, whether it is a demon or the sages, and whenever any, you know, the sages are asking or the demons are asking, who are you? Lakshman first, Lakshman is the one who speaks. And he always glorifies his father first. It's amazing, I'm reading it. I said, it's the same person. The Ayodhya can't <laughs> so harshly. So this is love, you know. It's coming out of love for Ram. So like that. Uh, so then, uh, then they go to Sita. Ram goes to Sita to inform her that I'm going to the forest. And what is her first response? She's not talking about injustice. She says, I'm coming with you. Ram says, no, this is a dangerous forest filled with Wild animals and demons, it's not safe for you. She says, no, when I was a young child, an astrologer told my father that I have, I'm going to have a great life in the forest. So I want to experience the forest with you and I can't leave you. And if you love me, you will take me with you. 
So she is not thinking of injustice and all of that. She is thinking wherever my husband goes, I'll go with him. So Ram, there's a beautiful conversation where Ram convinces logic. The logic Ram uses is amazing. Why she shouldn't come to the forest? He says you stay, but she is like determined. She loves Ram so much, and she is a princess, a queen, living in royalty, luxury, and she because she loves Ram so much. You see, Lakshman loves Ram. Sita loves Ram and Sita wants to follow Ram's footsteps. And Ram's all arguments she defeats. And then ultimately, and Ram is determined not to take her. But then Sita releases a Brahmastra or what we say, she goes nuclear. She says something which <laughs> Ram cannot. You know what she tells Ram? Because after which Ram tells her, okay, you're coming with me. <laughs> You know, generally, the historians and the left liberals in India, when they criticize Ramayana, they present Sita as a very timid lady who was abused by her husband, who had no thinking of her own, and she was simply following what her husband told her. And then they declared that Ramayana is a male bigotry, you know, chauvinistic literature. No, Sita was very articulate. In fact, in the whole Ramayana, I saw only once Ram scold Sita. And Sita scolds Ram at least five or six times. <laughs> she uses very harsh language. And in this particular instance, the sentence she tells Ram, Ram is like, okay, you're coming with me. <laughs> Anybody know what she tells Ram? She tells him, oh, you're not going to take me because I know why. Because you're not confident of protecting me. <laughs> and I think this is not the worst, that something worse going to come. <laughs> She says, and I think my father has married me to a woman in the guise of a man. <laughs> and you know, for a male ego, <laughs> and, and a male ego is okay, a kshatriya, a ruler, it's like the ultimate insult. <laughs> so anyway, so then they go to uh, KK, the three of them. And so Ram tells Lakshman, get all my weapons from Vashishta Vishya's ashram and they are ready. Anyway, Sita's character, maybe we'll discuss some other time. That's amazing, you know, Sita's, Ram's love for Sita and their relationship. And it's, it's like it will satisfy the heart of any hard-hearted, materialistic person. Anyway, so that's another topic. So then the three of them go to Kaikeyi and to take blessings of Dasharath Maharaj and they want to leave for the forest. And Dasharath Maharaj says, so Ram, you're leaving. But, but don't leave now. Leave tomorrow. Tonight, one night you stay with me. And I want to give you all the pleasures of the royal palace. Enjoy all of the pleasures. And tomorrow morning you can go. You know, many times devotees also think like that. Okay, from to tomorrow I'm going to get initiated. So I have to follow all this. So today let me drink tea. You know, let me, <laughs> let me do all of those things. So I know one devotee. Well, before initiation, one day before initiation, he ate a lot of eggs and you know, he, <laughs> he said that from tomorrow I can't eat all of that. He also drank a lot of coffee, the whole night he was drinking coffee. <laughs> so, so Dasarath Maharaj was suggesting something like that. From tomorrow your walk begins. So today you enjoy everything in the night. And what amazing uh, Ram's uh, response to this. Immediately Lord Ram, who is equipoised in happiness and distress, is steady in his duty. He tells his father that tomorrow in the forest, who will give me the pleasures that he give me tonight? <coughs> Reverend 
make sense. And then Dharis says, no, 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 you stay. Uh, I will send a lot of servants with you to the forest. See, he's, he's getting legal now, technical. You know, so Kaike wants, Kaike is, he is now saying, Kaike's desire will be fulfilled. You go to the forest. But now, Dashat Maharaj is looking for some, you know, wiggle room just to get some more uh, clauses inside. He says, but I'm the king. I can always send soldiers with you. I can send uh, money with you. You know, I can send a lot of things. So then, Ram looks at his father and says, an analogy he gives. He says, somebody has rejected an elephant and you are giving him a gold to control the elephant. What is the use of a, what is that called? Goat? Is that the right word? Yeah. The elephant goat, the, the one, the stick with which you control the elephant when you're sitting on top of it. The mahot controls the elephant. So he says, I've given up the elephant and you're giving me a small stick to control the elephant. So what is the use of being attached to that? So that's a very profound verse. And then Dashrath Maharaj gets angry. He looks at Kaike and says, let Kaike keep the kingdom and I and all the citizens of Ayodhya will go to the forest with Ram. And let the forest become Ayodhya and let Ayodhya become the forest. <laughs> there are many, many poetic verses here. I'm just mm, going forward, just hoping that you will get excited and you will read Ramayana. <laughs> because I'm just giving you a trailer, you know, just a sample of the verses there. And then the way Kaike and the way Vashishta Rishi, Ram's guru, gets so excited and he gives all the forest analogies to drive, to explain to Kaike how she is evil. He says, We'll all go to the forest. And the forest will become the city of Ayodhya, and Ayodhya will become a forest. Why? Kaike, what Kaike does, she gets those tree barks for Ram to Ram and Sita to wear. And Sita is a queen, and she's like wearing tree barks. And when Vashishta Rishi, the guru, sees this, he is like, and then he gives his whole tree analogy. He says, All of us will go to the forest, forest will become Ayodhya, and in Ayodhya, nobody will be there, only trees will be there. And Kaike, because you gave this tree bark to Sita, now these trees will give you company in Ayodhya. Nobody will be there with you like that. So then um, they are going to the forest and Sumantra is a chariot driver. He wants to leave them to the forest and he drives very slowly because all the citizens have accompanied them and they are crying, Ram, don't go, please don't go. And that time it's interesting, Lord Ram, he tells Sumantra, drive fast. You know, don't delay this uh, pain and suffering of everyone, just go fast. And Sumantra is going fast. And all the citizens are saying, slow down. And Dasharat Maharaj comes out of the palace and he's like running behind. He says, Ram, wait, Ram, wait. It's very, very poetically graphic. And the chari- and then Ram looks back. He sees his father is calling him, telling him to stop. So Ram tells Sumantra, drive fast. But he says, my king is ordering me to go slow. He's my king. So Ram says, go fast. And after you drop us in the forest and you come back, and Sumantra says, but he will tell me I violated his order. Ram says, tell him you didn't hear. <laughs> Ram, who never speaks a lie, <laughs> he is Mariada Purushottam, always truthful. He is now speaking a lie. He is telling him to speak a lie. He wants to get out of the uh, kingdom. But then Ram stops. He says, stop. Because he sees elderly Brahmanas, you know, old people also running and wanting to be with Ram. He feels sad that they are running and walking and he is on the chariot. So he gets out of the chariot. He, Lakshman and Sita, walk with the citizens. And Sumantra is taking the chariot very slow. That's how they go to the forest. So, this is like this long story. And uh, Lakshman's uh, service to Ram, for 14 years he didn't sleep at all. And he was just serving Ram. Because, you know, in the night, when Ram and Sita would take rest in the hermitage, 
that a demons who would attack, who could possibly attack. So Lakshman would stay vigil, he would keep guard at night. And um, so I'm fast forwarding, Dasharat Maharaj in separation leaves his body. And uh, see, we all glorify, but many of our uh, commentators in the Ramayana, they have written such amazing glorification of two personalities. We generally don't talk about. We talk about Ram, Lakshman, Sita. But they have glorified Lakshman's wife, Urmila, and uh, Ram's brother, Bharat. Many people consider Bharat as the greatest devotee of Ram. In fact, there are commentators who say Bharat is more glorious than Ram also. During the next few days, we will, we will discover that also. But Lakshman's wife, Urmila, she, say, like Sita wants to be with Ram, Urmila wants to be with Lakshman. But she gave up her desire so that she can take care of the mothers. And Lakshman also told her that if you come with me, see, I want to just serve Ram and Mother Sita. So I don't want you to come there and then we both, I don't want to be anxious about you. And she also very happily stays back. Although she's feeling intense separation from her husband because she knows that Ram's service may get disrupted if I am there. So she's also made a sacrifice. So meanwhile, the news of, uh, now meanwhile, after Dasharat Maharaj has died, uh, news is sent to Bharat and Shatrugna who are at Kushadvaja's kingdom. Now the interesting thing here is, the sage Vashishta tells this messengers, don't tell them that Dasharat Maharaj has left his body. Just call them immediately. So they come back and the, Bharat is having all bad dreams and he's knowing that something disastrous has happened in Ayodhya. As soon as he comes, he sees, he's shocked to see the whole palace is desolate and people are, nobody's there, shops are closed. And he runs to Mother Kaike's palace and says, Mother, where is my father? What is happening? And Kaike is possessed by greed. She speaks about the news of Dasarat Mara's death as if it was pleasant and agreeable. She says, your father is dead. This is what she says. And, and she says, um, your father is dead, Bharat, and now the kingdom is yours. Bharat just looks at her in disbelief. He's like, what? Father, but he just hears the first sentence, father is dead. And when he hears this, he says, alas, I am ruined. And he falls on the ground. He wakes up. And then he starts crying again. He starts wailing. And then he starts remembering all the love and affection his father gave him. All the stories that he told him. And then he comes back to external consciousness and says, my dear mother, I came back swiftly when the messengers came because I thought Ram is going to be made the king. So I was excited. That's why I came running. So how did, how did our father die? What disease did he have? And Ram and Lakshman are so fortunate that they are here to perform the, to perform the final rites of our father. I want to meet my brother Ram. Where is he? And Kaike says, now the second shocking news. She says, Ram is banished to the forest for 14 years. And Bharat says, what? What crime did he do? Now, Kaiki so far had completely misunderstood Bharat. Because as I told you yesterday, how we amplify our worries, we imagine so many things. Out of ignorance, she was thinking that Bharat will be very happy to get the kingdom. Now, suddenly, our intelligence is like, you know, the short circuit of the intelligence like, this is going against her plan. Bharat is saying, but why Ram is sent to the forest? She says, so that you can be the king of Bharat. I've done all of this 
for you and your father has given me two boons and i have asked for ram to be banished to the forest and you to be made the king now bharat could not believe what he heard and what is the first thing bharat says after hearing this he says have you gone mad what have you done he shouts at his mother and he starts covering his face he starts shaking his head and he says you have heaped calamity upon calamity and then he becomes very angry he says oh mother your actions are unforgivable you have appeared in our family as the night of universal devastation what has impelled you to exile ram so kk starts panicking now because she she never she thought the whole reaction of bharat would be would be happy it was going completely against her expectation so she was aghast and she blurted out how muntra convinced her you know she spoke all of those details and then she finally said bharat but i did all of this with your interest in mind i wanted to make you happy bharat said you wanted to make me happy i am feeling ashamed i am ashamed of you what on earth has possessed you you always loved ram more than you loved me i always seen you do that and i was happy that you love ram more than you love me and ram always wanted to serve you more than he wanted to serve his own mother so i am immediately going to the forest and bringing him back here and then he looked at his mother with disgust and he told his mother kaike that you will eternally reside in hell i desert you you are neither my mother nor the emperor's wife you know when i was a younger brahmachari you know, we were into now i don't do that i am old and mature <laughs> when we were young you know we would like talk about brahmachari ashram and make younger boys brahmachari and the brahmachari would say the young boy would say but you know my mom says we should always follow what the parents say you know lord ram followed what his parents said so i tell them i used to tell them but bharat didn't follow what his mother said <laughs> so bharat rejected his mother you know this kind of argument we used to give very immature we were then now also i am like that but then now we don't preach the wrong things so he tells his mother i desert you you are neither my mother nor the emperor's wife you are undoubtedly a wicked demoness who has appeared in our dynasty to destroy our race i suggest you immediately swallow poison or jump into deadly fire and or go to the forest and give up your body <laughs> this is his uh, reaction so you seeing what what is happening here so these are all not you know this is like genuinely wants doesn't want the position he just wants to serve this is ramayan's mood is this everybody wants to serve so then what bharat did he ran out of the palace like a madman and directly ran to kaushalya's palace and everybody was running behind him and then he ran and as soon as he entered kaushalya's palace kaushalya looked at him and said Bharat congratulations you are now the king and Bharat broke down and Kaushalya realized that he is sincere and he held a lotus feet Kaushalya was pacified then the 12 days of rituals were performed for Dasharath Maharaj and then there is all this you know the the Vedic traditions and then after the 12 days there is very interesting this is very interesting incident Shatrughna was all the while quiet Bharat's brother you yet come with him and then he saw mantara dressed in beautiful gold jewelry and she is walking in the palace 
And Shatrughna looks at her and he says, and he starts remembering how she is the one who convinced Kaiki. And he walks up, he runs up to her and starts pounding her, beating her, kicking her. <laughs> he gets violent. And Kaiki panics. She tells Bharat, stop him. And Bharat goes and stops Shatrughna. And says, Shatrughna, you can't do this. You know, Lord Ram, our brother Ram would not be happy with this. <coughs> In fact, you are kicking mantra. I would have sent our my mother Kaike to the forest, but I know Ram would not be happy. That's why I'm not I'm not driven her out of the kingdom. So when Kaike hears this, that's when she realizes that she had done a big disaster. Till that point of time, she hadn't realized it. And then what she does, and then uh, the, the, the beautiful thing, Ramayana explains. She looks at Mantara and she realizes she was the one who convinced her. But beautiful, she looks at Mantara and she doesn't get angry with Mantara. She takes complete responsibility for this whole thing. This is very beautiful. You know, because generally what we would say, oh, she brainwashed me or, you know, she did that. That's what I would have thought when I was reading Ramayana. And then Shatrugna says, I am shocked at Lakshman. Why did Lakshman not take the kingdom by force? <coughs> Why was he sitting idle? You know, he's like, he's angry with Lakshman now. And meanwhile, Lakshman is angry with Bharat and Shatrugna. See, all of them are loving Ram. The emotions are because of Ram is the center. And then, uh, and then the next morning, according to the traditions, Bharat should be made the king because he is the king. So what he is sleeping in the morning, uh, this is called as the sleep test of Ramayana. And you know, we all will have this sleep test in our life. Whether we are fixed in our duties, in our responsibilities, in our love for the Lord. The sleep test is, Bharat was sleeping in the night and when he woke up, before he woke up, Vashishta and all the ministers with all the royal uh, music and paraphernalia, they went to his palace, they went to his door and started singing. Bharat, wake up, you are the king now. And Bharat wakes up. Now this is the actual ritual because he is the king, the kingdom was given to him and his 12, year, 12 days of mourning, his period is over. And Bharat wakes up and then he hears the music. Now generally when you get wake up from sleep, you know, you are in a stupor and you are caught unguarded, right? Whatever is there inside will come out likely. But when Bharat wakes up, the first thing he does is he closes his ears and he shouts, I am not the king, I am not the king, I am a servant of Ram. Don't do this, stop this music, stop this. And then he runs to the palace of Ram, where Ram is supposed to be the king. He runs there and he circumambulates the throne where Ram is supposed to sit and he pays full dandavat to it and sits on the floor. This is the way Vashishta says, Bharat, you have passed the sleep test. <laughs> because this was the ultimate test. Because you know, when you, are, when you just wake up from your dream, from your sleep, you are like, you could be, your innermost desires could just be manifest. So then Kaike also says to Bharat that, you know, the father was right, please forgive me. And she is looking, she is completely repentant. Now, there is more to this pastime. We will take it up later. At this point of time, I want to uh, emphasize on this point of what Ram and Bharat and Lakshman have shown and Sita have shown in this episode so far. You will see the main theme that is coming out very uh, emphatically is the point of being equipoised during happiness and distress. Rams and Lakshman and Sita, their dedication and attachment to serving the Lord. These are the two themes that come out very beautifully. And... Um, <coughs> Bhagavad Gita, those of you know, those who have studied, one of the first instructions Krishna gives to Arjuna is this. Tolerate, 
happiness and distress. Like what happened to Ram, it can happen to us also sometimes. You may be expecting something and suddenly something can go wrong. So, man, I remember the first time I read that verse in the Gita, I was like, tolerate happiness and distress. I said, tolerate distress makes sense, but why tolerate happiness? And just enjoy. <laughs> but then, uh, Krishna explains to Gita that when we are very, when we enjoy without being sober, in the sense we also have to, it's a paradox. We need to be sober also when we enjoy. <laughs> Knowing that this is, see, detachment is not giving up everything, okay? Detachment is not that, okay, I give up everything like Ram and I go to the forest. That's not detachment. Detachment means whatever you're doing, please keep reminding yourself and knowing that this is temporary and at some point of time this will be taken away from you. Then when that eventually happens, you will be... Because to the extent we are attached and happy, to that, to double extent, we will get miserable when it's taken away from us. That's the nature, that's a law. Just leave out the law of gravity. There is a law of suffering in this world. And X amount of pleasure is equal to 2X amount of pain. That's the law. So have good friendships, have parties, enjoy, but be in equilibrium. <laughs> in fact, those of you are devotees here, practicing Hare Krishna devotees, you know there is a book called Nectar of Devotion, Bhaktira Samra Sindhu. This is a standard guidebook for all devotees how to practice bhakti. And the author Rupa Goswami has given us 64 items of devotional service. He says if you are doing bhakti, you should follow these 64 things. And the 11th item is very interesting. It is equilibrium in loss and gain. When I read it, I was surprised. He said it is a practice of devotional service to be equi equilibrium in loss and gain. Why is this given like that? Because what is the essence of bhakti? Anybody know? What is the essence of all the things you are doing in bhakti? Ultimately, what is it all about in Krishna consciousness? What are we supposed to do with all the rules and regulations that we follow? Ultimately, what is that one thing we are supposed to be doing at the end of all of it? Always remember Krishna, always remember God, never forget God. That's the ultimate purpose. Now what happens when we are not in equilibrium in loss and gain? Generally what happens? When we are very happy and enjoying, we get carried away. And we don't remember Krishna. And when there is extreme lamentation, we forget Krishna. That's why the sannyasi, the brahmachari, renounce order in Krishna consciousness, they are forbidden from going to, going to marriages and funeral ceremonies. Tradition, because the emotions, extreme emotions may make them forget the Lord. But unfortunately, we today live in an age of stimulation. Everybody is like, constantly you are agitated, right? Constantly, I, I don't know if it's in England like this, in India, everywhere, breaking news. It flashes on the screen. And, and the news anchor is also like shouting, as if nothing has happened, you know. When I was a young boy, we, we grew up watching the television. Once a day, news would come at 8.40 and the two news anchors would be like very sober. They would read from a news paper and they would read today's news. And sometimes there would not be much news, she would say. That's it for today. <laughs> but now I see every minute there is like breaking news. And in the airport, when I'm going, I see, you know, see, even if you don't want to watch it, the television has some power, you know, it just broke your neck. <laughs> it was something amazing. So I was going to one, one of my friend's house and his brother was watching TV. And he, my friend's room was inside. So he said, he opened the door and he said, we'll go in. So I was going and I saw his brother was watching TV. 
maybe I saw for five seconds, I was walking inside. And in those five seconds I saw the television screen, maybe 200 images flashing, there was some MTV music, something was going on. And there was an octopus which came and then there were so many colors, shouting and music. It was so much bombardment to the senses in those five seconds. And that fellow who was watching it, he was like a, like a couch potato, he was like dull. <laughs> he was drinking. I realized, my God, what this media has to do to agitate him because this fellow is so desensitized. <laughs> so we live in this um, generation. So we can't, many of us are not able to appreciate this equilibrium in loss and gain because of this. Because we, we, we find it's very artificial. What do you mean equilibrium in loss and gain? Uh, See, the, why we are not able to appreciate this equilibrium is because we think we don't have to tolerate anything in life. There's no, nothing called as tolerate, tolerate, you know, just... Because now if you want something, like you want any information, you, are just, you just press some buttons, you get all the information. You want to order something, in India we have got so many, uh, you know, you want some good food, you just... and you get it. home delivery. You want to change the temperature of the room, switch on. You want to switch off the television. Everything is remote control. And we try the same thing in relationships also. You know, he's talking too much. Stop. We're <laughs> not able to control people in relationships like we are able to control the environment around us. Everything is in our control. And when you're not able to con and then in relationships we're only talking about it's my way. I'm gonna do this. And life is not like that. In fact, most of the problems, trust me, most of the problems in life cannot be solved. Most of the problems in life have to be tolerated. Most problems have to be tolerated and we have been growing up thinking, oh, I'm going to figure this out, I'm going to control this. So, it's going to be crazy, it's not going to work. So, therefore, I have, what the scriptures tell us is, you will, I know why, you, are, you know why, I know the question in many of your mind is, okay, tolerate and just do your duty. It's not easy because if you keep tolerating, one day I'll explode like a volcano, right? If you keep tolerating, it won't work. Like I'll give an example, in our ashram one boy joined and as soon as he joined, few of us knew that he shouldn't have joined because he should have got married. But he was like, no, I want to become a brahmachari. Uh, it, was, it was going against his nature and, and he was not happy in the ashram because you know, it's tough to live with 50 people and getting up early in the morning and he was like, but he was putting up a brave front and tolerating. But inside he was seething with anger. <laughs> I could perceive it, but he's putting up a... Now, you can't, you can't force someone to say that you are miserable, you know. He's like, he is miserable, I knew it, but he's like, I'm okay, bro, I'm okay. I'm fighting it out. I'm doing good. Tolerating, tolerating, tolerating. And when we were taking prasadam, and it was his turn to serve. So one of a very senior devotees in the temple, he was sitting and he said, he called out to him, he said, Prabhu, uh, can you give me sambar? He had already been serving for 10 minutes. So when he heard, can you please give me some more sambar? That was the tipping point. <laughs> he said, he came rushing to him with that bucket and he lifted the bucket. He said, you want to, you want to bathe in sambar? Let me put the sambar on you. And he wouldn't believe it. He was about to put the whole sambar on him. And then everybody said, everybody shouted. You know, they didn't say hurry bowl. They said, <laughs> <laughs> they shouted, hey, what are you doing? And immediately, he realized, you know, and that, just he realized what he had done. And then he kept the bucket down and he ran upstairs. And then we ran behind him and then he broke down. 
See what I'm saying is very control, tolerate. Therefore, in bhakti yoga, we have a very interesting technique by which tolerance becomes very easy in the long run. And that is the whole bhakti literatures talk about. They never talk about only tolerance. They talk about tolerance plus experiencing Krishna or remembering Krishna with affection. So what happens that? See, devotees go through as much suffering as the non-Hare Krishna devotees. So let us not have any illusion about it. <laughs> let us not think that oh, now I become a Hare Krishna, so you know now everything is going to be smooth, fine, no problems in life. No, sorry. But the advantage we have is we have Krishna, and when we remember Krishna with affection, we experience a certain kind of rasa, pleasure, <coughs> and it makes the suffering worth it. In retrospect, and you are like, "Thank you, Krishna. I went through that journey." This is the experience of all the devotees who have sustained Krishna consciousness for decades. You may say, "Well, then how do I experience Krishna?" And the standard answer would be, "Chant Hare Krishna, hear Bhagavatam, serve devotees." And some of you may say, "But I've been doing that for many years, and still I don't feel it." So we have some things in between, you know, the. I call it as you know the spiritual activities which help us remember Krishna and experience Krishna, hearing, chanting, kirtan, all of that. That is spiritual activities which help us remember and experience Krishna. And then there are material activities which take us away from Krishna. And there is something in between called as quasi spiritual. They're not directly Krishna conscious, but they are um, activities that can help you experience Krishna. And to experience Krishna, first you have to become aware of your own what's happening inside you. You have to be aware of your own mind, and you have to separate yourself from your mind. Shri Prabhupada said, "First become conscious, then become Krishna conscious." <laughs> so I have some exercises, some very very. See, I I have got I discovered a tool. I'm I'm convinced about this extremely powerful tool called journaling. So if so. If you so from tomorrow, what we could do the remaining three days of session that I have, if all of you can get your journal, paper and pen, and if you don't have a paper and pen, at least you should have your smartphone so that you can type. Ideally, paper and pen. Can all of you get it tomorrow? It's a small exercise. Every day we will do one or two exercises, and when you write, writing is the best way to experience God because it slows down your mind. And many of us are unable to pray to the Lord and experience the Lord because the mind is shouting all the time. Ah, we are unable to tolerate happiness, distress because the mind is shouting. So, if you want to experience Krishna, the mind has to slow down. And if you want to slow down the mind, there is nothing greater than journaling. I have discovered journaling, breathing, chanting. All of them are great because the mind. See, there are there are there are two personalities. You know, you just imagine you are sitting like this, and there is on your left. Imagine. Ten-foot-tall, vicious demon with hideous face and horns coming out, and is constantly shouting. Bah! On your left, who is that, Mr. Mind? On your right, imagine the most beautiful personality, your higher self, or you know, Krishna, who is just and he doesn't talk much. <laughs> Krishna is just looking at you. Smiling, waiting for you to turn to him, and we are only looking at this mind, this demon who is constantly like, ah, 
and we are looking at him and nodding our heads and doing whatever he tells us to do and the best part is this demon mind can't even touch you he can't harm you at all because mind is not you mind is just like this laptop and me are different this is not my this, this is my laptop but this is not me the laptop is not me similarly the mind is not you you are different from the mind but we have taken the mind so seriously that we are only looking at the mind yes yes you are right you are right and we don't realize this is just on our head like this and who is here krishna is but is waiting to embrace you so we are not experiencing krishna so journaling is one of the best ways we can we can understand how we are separate from our mind and we can then slowly begin to look at krishna when our right and then we experience krishna then tolerance happens so we may not be at that stage like ram <laughs> saying okay i am okay in all situations but the principle is tolerant because we have to tolerate happiness and distress especially sufferings will come in our lives and you will realize oh there is no solution he you know i have seen in my life i got this realization that some of the problems just cannot be solved and then you realize this is not a problem to be solved but this is a truth to be accepted there is a difference between a problem to be solved and a truth to be accepted so ram knew this is a truth i have to accept so he accepted it graciously so that is the theme of uh, this today's talk uh, uh, this section that we read today and in future classes we will read about bharat's response also hare krishna hare krishna 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 hare 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 ram hare ram 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 hare hare any comments or questions regarding today's class as can i take a question So if I understand correctly, you are saying in that provocative situation, that during yeah. that provocation, how do I, how do I restrain from being impulsive? Yeah. That's the question, right? So now let me tell you that many times it may not initially it may appear that you may fail. At that during that provocation, you may fail and you may be impulsive, and you may say, "Prabhu, but it happens all the time. I fail. <laughs> what is the use? I can't tolerate. Fine, because it was a provoking situation." now are you 24 hours provoked this is my question to all of you are there moments when you are not provoked so can you take out some time at that time you just sit with yourself take out a journal and write down what are the provocation what all happened in the past and how did you respond and how you could do it differently next time and then pray to krishna to give you strength 
And, and you may do that and still fail next time. And then what do you do again? Again come back to Krishna. Keep coming back. See the whole Krishna consciousness is all about coming back to Krishna. Because we can't allow, we can't stop the material energy from, we can't stop our mind from doing what the mind is doing. You can't say, Prabhu, I know somebody asked me, my mind is wandering too much. How do I control my mind? I said, your mind is wandering too much. Congratulations, you are healthy. <laughs> <laughs> if mind doesn't wander, then you need to see a psychiatrist. <laughs> or you are a great yogi. I mean, that, that's also possible. But for normal people, mind will wander. For normal people, we will give in to impulsive action. So therefore, when you are not provoked, what do you do? That's the test. So if you are consistently coming back to Krishna, then when you are provoked, Krishna will remind you, don't do this. And you know what you will do at that time? You will disregard Krishna's voice and you will again do that. But again, when you are not provoked, that time you come back to Krishna. See, there's a different, you want to know a technique by which I have discovered through journaling. You want to know the difference between mind and Krishna's voice? Wouldn't it be nice, wouldn't it be great to always hear Krishna's voice in the heart? Many times, Krishna's voice is covered because of the mind's noise. So I've discovered a technique. I, at least I know when is, is the mind's noise and when is Krishna's voice. Mind's noise is loud, fast and attached. I'll repeat, mind's, noise is, mind's voice is loud, fast and attached. Like I'm chanting Japa, mind says. Send an important message to... Vinay, right now. <laughs> Send this message to Ram, right now. It's important, it's regarding your you know, program. I said, no, just wait. And the mind says, now, do it, do it, do it. And mind is attached to it. You have to check the WhatsApp. Mind wants to be, mind wants to be distracted. And what is Krishna's voice? Soft, slow, and detached. And Krishna, I could hear the faint voice telling me, just chime now. <laughs> And if I disregard Krishna and pick up the phone, Krishna is not going to shout. Krishna is detached. Okay. <laughs> Krishna is waiting for you to turn to him. So, mind's voice is very loud. So, therefore, many times we fail. So, what our problem is, what our problem is not that we get, we give into provocations. Our problem is we feel so ashamed of giving into provocations that we fail to come back to Krishna. We are ashamed to come back to Krishna. We think Krishna will judge me like the people in this world judge me. In this world, if you promise some, something to someone, and that person, and you failed on your promise, and he knows it, that you failed on it, and you feel so ashamed that you don't come back to that person again, because you know that you'll be judged. Similarly, when we fail in our own ideals and values, and we betray our values, and we slip and we struggle, we avoid Krishna. Thinking that Krishna will also judge me. Krishna will be, you will experience it when you fail, and you go back to Krishna, you will feel, wow, Krishna doesn't judge me. You will get an experience. When you are sincerely repentant for the you know, for, for giving into those provocations, and you go back, you feel Krishna's love and warmth. And you say, wow, Krishna is so good. So return back to Krishna. Come back to Krishna when you are sober. And that will give you the strength. But if you still ask me, Prabhupada, but what to do during that provocation moment? Trust Krishna. To help you, and you have to you have to, you have to exercise some free will. You have to exercise the determination to please Krishna. Otherwise, there are people who keep going back to Krishna and keep doing the wrong thing. That's like shamelessness. That's not being 
It's like telling the, the child, telling the parent, you pick me up, I'm not going to move. I mean, always like that, you have to grow up. So like that. Is that okay? Anybody else? Yes, uh, I'll take his question. Ram? Um, so are there any external factors that can help slow down the mind? Um, just like for myself, like to avoid hyper emotion. So for myself, like I find that a lack of sleep tends to make myself hyper emotive. So like a small thing may make me extra worried or extra annoyed or extra angry. But are there like small things that we can work on? Like even like being hangry. I know some people get hangry. And when they're hungry, like something small can, you know, provoke them so much. So are there any small things to avoid situations like that so you can control the mind day to day? Yeah, I was at the Lincoln retreat last week. It was a Think Gita uh, retreat. And there one lady asked this question, same question. Like there's, you know, there's something practical that we could do. I said, uh, do you get, uh, she said, my day is so busy and I'm so much passionately engaged that I just can't, don't have time. I said, do you get time to drink water? She said, no. <laughs> so busy. So then, finally I gave her the suggestion which I practice myself, which, which again is quasi-spiritual. Remember I spoke about spiritual material. There are many quasi-spiritual activities. I just spoke about journaling and tomorrow you are going to do that journaling here. And you will discover an amazing technique which is called now journaling, one of the eight types of journaling I do. And when you do that now journaling, you will be able to see how you can slow down your mind. It's an amazing technique, so I, I want to keep it for tomorrow. But I'll tell you one more technique, which is uh, also a way to slow down your mind. That is, you'll be shocked by this, the simplicity of it. It is called breathing. Okay, I'll ask you a very stupid question, but please be honest and raise your hand, okay? I know you'll say, what a stupid question. I know the answer, but still raise your hand. How many of you breathe? Please raise your hand if you breathe. Oh, everybody raising their hands. Thank you. Now, now, next question. This question is very easy. How many of you breathe? What a stupid question. Okay, next question. How many of you are conscious when you breathe of the breath? Krishan, right? Krishan. So like, he's raising his hand and he's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. We all, we, sometimes we are conscious. That's what you're saying, right? I know what you're saying. Sometimes. <clears throat> But this is the trick to slow down your mind. What is it called? Conscious breathing. Conscious breathing means, again, don't keep your body stiff. We'll just try it for 10 seconds. Sit comfortably. Sit with grace. You have to sit straight, but it's not that you... Don't tighten your body. Just sit comfortably, wherever you are. And when I say start, not now. When I say start, you will inhale to the count of four in your own way. I'll just show you. It's like this. And then you hold it for a second and then you exhale to the count of four. Now when you inhale and exhale, it's not like, it's not like this, you know. <laughs> inhale means you should only hear the, you should be able to hear the soft sound of your breath. It should be something like this. Nobody else should know that you're breathing. I'm, I'm hearing that the sound of the breath. Microphone couldn't amplify it, but I was. 
Now I think now I, now I think you can hear. But it's softer than this. Just normal breathing. Can you do it? Okay, before you start, I'm going to do an experiment with you. Please sit straight. I'll ask a question now. How many of you think that when we inhale, our stomach goes in or our stomach goes out? When we inhale, stomach goes in or stomach goes out? Stomach goes out, how many of you feel? When you inhale. And when, when we inhale, the stomach goes in. See, this class is divided. That means we don't know how to breathe. <laughs> the simple test. Now, what does it, what does really happen? When we inhale, does the stomach go in? Or does it come out? You experience now. See, just, just imagine animals are better than us. You know, they at least breathe properly. <laughs> we don't even know how to breathe. We are thinking, we are not sure. Oh, what is happening? And so, can we do this now? Okay. So, what will you do? Inhale to the count of four, and there should be absolute, si sorry, absolute silence. Okay, we will start. Can close your eyes. Krishna, can you gently open your eyes? No, I don't want to embarrass you by this stupid question. One more question I had in my mind. I wanted to ask, how many of you go to the washroom? <laughs> so we all go to the washroom, right? We clean up the body. So when you do breathing, you know what happens? When you when you when you hear when you do conscious breathing slowly, it's like going to the washroom of the mind and removing all the clutter and the garbage all the kachra and all that. It just gets flushed out of your mind. So I have my a phone. Can I get my bag? I'll just show you something. So because you ask this question, of, oh, we have time? We have a few minutes. You just let me know because I get carried away many times. So, you know, uh, I want to show you this. I carry my smartphone with me all the time because I got tired of giving lectures that we shouldn't use smartphone and then I was myself victim of it. So I discovered to... I discovered a very nice technique by which smartphone is helping me now. In the other time, in the smart, I was not using the smartphone. The smartphone was using me. <laughs> but now I am back to. <laughs> so what I do? I have this. Uh, you see this on my phone, three sixteen. So I take, I do what I call, call as breathing breaks, at least seven to ten times a day. Seven to ten times a day, I do what breathing breaks. It's like you know, you drink water. If the doctors tell you that you should drink water every day, many glasses, many cups, I think five or six cups you are supposed to drink so that you are healthy. So this is like drinking water for me. So I just start and I get into my breathing break. And when the alarm goes off, I'm like, <clears throat> sometimes I also had a power nap, short nap, and that, that, that has energized me. 
and it has happened so many times and this breathing breaks helps improve not only slows down your mind it brings clarity and it also makes you more thoughtful and it helps you to pray more meaningfully i don't know if you have experienced this when we pray to krishna how many of you have experienced this when you're standing in front of the deities and you pray and then you come back and somebody asked you what was the color of the deity's dress you don't know have it happened to you ever or has it ever happened to you that you stood in front of the lord and then you came back and you realized i didn't even pray <laughs> that has happened you know why that has happened because your mind was oh, and you were looking at the, remember this demon next to you on your left huh? you were just looking at him <laughs> and and you are not looking at krishna at all so what would when when you do breathing when you take breathing breaks or journaling breaks what happens you you are able to see the mind for who he is so so when you do this breathing break and you come in front of krishna your mind wanders it will wander don't 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 beat yourself it will wander and it is healthy it wanders in fact i have a whole theory on how mind wandering is good <laughs> but we will be able to gently come back to krishna because we are taking this breathing breaks i'll give you my own example today's example okay now because i have to give class i generally in mumbai i have a rule i don't give more than 3 classes in a week here sometimes you know i give morning class and then evening i'm alert to make some like yesterday but saying sharing something so i don't like to do i don't do that in general so when i have to give class what happens is my mind starts always preparing for the class or thinking what i should share with the devotees so even when i'm doing breathing breaks or praying the mind is i'm standing in front of prabhupada and the mind is thinking what i should speak in the class so i'm not present so that basically the mind talking but i tell you what happened today because of this breathing breaks i already have done three breaks i already taken four breaks today since i woke up and it's just 11 o'clock 10:30 now already taken four breaks today 3:30 once and then just before my journaling exercise you know like that and it doesn't take long you can make you can keep it for two minutes also you don't have to do it three minutes So then, what happened today? When I was just before coming for the class, I went to Shri Prabhupada and I took darshan of the deities. And I was standing in front of Prabhupada and I was praying. And then suddenly, because of my breathing breaks, I became aware that I was preparing for the class by standing in front of Shri Prabhupada. So my so then what did I do? I gently came back and said, Shri Prabhupada, please no. This is what I actually prayed because I came back to awareness. Shri Prabhupada, please know that I want to connect with you. You know. This class I'm going to give is my service, but ultimately at the end of all of this, I want to feel your love in my heart. And I just said it for maybe it just happened in a flash, maybe a few seconds, and then again the mind wandered. Again the mind wandered. But after five minutes, I was happy because at least I connected with Shri Prabhupada for that few seconds. And then I came back to the beauty. Same thing, Krishna Balram, Radha Govind, Madhav. so mind wanders but if you have this practice you can come back more often does it make sense hare krishna anybody else anything else you are saying okay mantra yes thank you for the class um i was thinking about No, no. I, okay, speak on the microphone. You are saying Sita and uh, Urmila, both are duties, both are wives, and both their duties are different. So my question is, how do we find the courage 
to stay loyal to what our duty is when it feels like peers or people around us are doing something different. And maybe on the outside it looks like we should be doing the same thing, but actually our calling is different. See, again, these kind of questions, the answers are discovered through trial and error and through practice. I mean, you, you, you take a call, you do something, then you realize it's not your calling or you don't want to do it, then you come back. See, we all need approval. Many of us have an approval-seeking behavior. And we try to please so many people and then we, and then we are not happy at, in the heart. And we are like, what am I doing? Actually, this is part of our discussion uh, day after tomorrow. Decision making is a whole whole presentation on that. Is that okay? We, we wait for two more days. Because I'm sure uh, I have a whole presentation on decision making, how to decide in such provocative situations, especially about our dharmas. We all have conflicting dharmas. No, we have. See, it's not that you have one duty to perform. Now, some of us are. No, you may be a mother, you may be a wife, and you may be a daughter, you may be a manager. And each duty has different, see, we have many roles and each role has many goals. So then how do I harmonize? Like Ram is a king, Ram is a husband, <laughs> Ram is a son. So this is called as, in Vedic parallel, this is called a dharma conflict. We all go through dharma conflict. And how do we resolve dharma conflict? There is a whole discussion on it. And, uh, and, no, and let me assure you, Nobody can be in material world perfect to do all your dharmas. You know, you won't get 100 out of 100. You will get maybe 50, 60, 70. And Lord, Lord Ram also didn't get 100 out of 100. You know, he, in one sense, as a husband, he failed. He couldn't, he sent Mother Sita away. As a king, he may have succeeded. So you see, so he got 98 maybe. <laughs> so like that, what I'm saying is, it's it's challenge in material world. You will not be able to always do what you want to do. So I and Gaurgopal Prabhu, you know, we, we discuss this often. Dharma conference, we say, we should, we should always do some things which we love to do. We also have to do things which we have to do. And there are some things we need to do. You can't only keep doing what I love to do. So that balance we'll discuss. But it comes mainly by trial and error. And the sincerity of purpose. So you'll never feel, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm sorted and I'm, my life is cool. That doesn't happen. Best of us, you know, we go through. But we keep, we keep adhering to the duty. I'll give a classic, I'll, I'll end with this. It's an amazing pastor of Srila Prabhupada. Srila Prabhupada is in New York, 1966. He just started ISKCON. You know, he's, he's not established ISKCON as yet. And he was giving classes to those, before the hippies started coming, old people were coming for his classes. And he's very new in New York. And he's not able to adjust to the New York weather. It's very austere for him. And in the middle of the class, you know, he says, the recording is there, available. And uh, the, you, can, you can make out, you can feel that energy in that class, Srila Prabhupada is saying. So, I've come here to New York, but my heart is in Vrindavan. I'm missing Radha Madan Mohan, Radha Vrindavan, you know, Radha Gopinath. And I'm not happy here. Shiva Prabhupada is saying this in New York, he's saying this to his audience and the one lady, you can hear the lady's voice, he says, yeah, yeah, you're not happy, you can see that. Eh? <laughs> She's saying that, you're not happy here. And Shiva Prabhupada says, yes, I'm not happy. Yes, Prabhupada's response, yes, I'm not happy. 
my heart wants to go back to Vrindavan, but I will not go back. <laughs> I will serve you because my Guru Maharaj has ordered me. And of course, in that sense of duty, he experienced deep satisfaction and deep happiness. So, you know, we, to, to think that my life would be, you know, very peaceful and blissful, that doesn't happen. So, let us remove this myth of happiness. Hmm. Is that okay? Hare Krishna. We'll stop here. Thank you very much for your kind attention. Hari Bo, Shila Prabhupada Ki. Yeah. Thank you.